0: Welcome to the 905er podcast with me, Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. And uh, we're coming back after a short break uh, last week that we're about to discuss um, with our usual uh, our usual roundup, but a roundup on a, on a Tuesday rather than a Thursday this week of uh, news in the 905. And well, let's kick off, Joel, with, with, with the... Uh, with Canada Day and and uh, things uh, surrounding uh, that,
1: well, yeah, this Canada Day I think had a different uh, feel to it than previous years. For uh, hopefully people would understand for obvious reasons, um, this Canada Day the <clears throat> the shadow of the discoveries of uh, now coming up over a thousand uh, unmarked graves for children. Uh, at various residential school sites uh, in this country has kind of given a lot of people to, to take pause and to uh, reevaluate uh, a bit of what it means to be Canadian going forward, I guess, in this country is the polite way I'll, I guess I'll phrase it. Um, everyone, it seems, except for conservative politicians. Um, <clears throat> Canada I, I noticed a trend on social media with the majority of progressive uh, uh NDP green uh, and liberal MPs and all, all posting messages of you know that we have a lot to be happy for but clearly we need to st- take pause and reflect and, and and look a little bit more inwards in terms of who we want to be as a people uh going forward from this point and I thought, I thought those were messages were pretty apt for ca- capturing kind of the mood in the country at the moment. But then I looked at all the conservative MPPs and MPs uh, in, the, in the region that were tweeting out. And it was just your same jingoistic messages of pro-Canada, rah, 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 we've done nothing wrong, we're the greatest country in the world. And normally I guess that would be suitable, but I found it to be uh, a little bit hollow this year. I thought I thought it was painful it was painfully that they were obviously trying to avoid talking about the elephant in the room which was residential schools in this country uh it was it it's it's very it was just it was one of those op- things of you know what you didn't say was a lot louder than what you did say and it was just it was telling you I mean everyone from uh Jane McKenna here in Burlington all the way up to Aaron O'Toole all posting you know hey great you know and the only the only recognition I heard I saw in them that was towards First Nations of this land was, hey, thanks for giving us the name Canada, which, <laughs> you know, not not the message you want to strike when we're exhuming unmarked graves of children across this country. Like, it was just, guys, read the room, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, we were coming up to Canada, and it fell on a Thursday, which is our usual day to do an episode, and it was a... a, a Let's put it this way. I'm not going to blame anybody for, for not wanting to say we're cancelling Canada Day this year. If you want to, you know, it's everybody feels differently, but you don't feel differently about those dead bodies in graveyards. You know, um, It it there's no, they can defend the right to celebrate Canada Day on Canada Day all they want. That's a legitimate point of view. I think most people just felt it was a good year to take a step back and treat us slightly differently. I mean, not even slightly different, very differently for for very good reasons, whatever they can do their thing. But that doesn't mean that you just pretend that those bodies don't exist on Mm -hmm. this day, Um, you know, or, or if you're acknowledging Canada, then you're acknowledging the totality of Canada before and after. Europeans came here. Um uh, uh, you know, so it's like of all the days in the year when maybe a land acknowledgement would be nice, um Canada today is probably it, you know. Um Mm -hmm. it's (laughs) uh it's so deliberately tone deaf. And I mean I was just saying to you before we came on, and I might as well say it here as well. I was over at family last night and was shown an email that was you know, it's being sent around amongst the 70 year old citizens of burlington and you can kind of imagine what these emails are like um and that's fine people in their 70s will have their opinions and they are going to be very resistant to changing opinions that they've had for a very long time and that's just human nature i get that um even if it is spectacularly bloody ignorant um however the conservative party of canada doesn't need to pander to that stuff but but it does because that's their core voter. You know, They know if someone had said anything about the First Nations in a tweet, that all the 70-year-olds are gonna see that and they're gonna be pissed. Well, maybe they should be challenging those 70-year-olds to be a little bit more open-minded rather than just going along with it. You know, and it's really like that guy in London, right? You know, with his, um, uh, and good for him, his, his him saying, you know, when I was canvassing, I just ran into so many races. Right. Uh, Good for him. Shame he didn't say it at the time, but good for him. But it's that same process. They know what they're dealing with, and they don't want to challenge it, even though they know it's wrong. Um,
1: well, that's the that's the crux of it. Is that, you know this this is a, a monumental moment in our country's history. Where there's going to be a lot of inward reflection and a lot. I'm hoping a lot of um, re- re- rethinking of the path, what steps forward we want to take next and what just struck me was the f- sheer fact like it was just let's let's just deny it happen it, you know like let's just let's just let's not acknowledge it let's not acknowledge the fact that there are a lot of people uh f- those are those of first nations who are very much hurting who are very much uh reliving traumas of the past in some cases uh and there are people who are White Canadians who are waking up to a a harsh reality of their country, and they're not comfortable with it. They are they they're trying to confront it as well. And they're tr- we're everybody's kind of in this collective atmosphere of trauma, and we're trying to we're trying to work through it. We realize, okay, we can't deny this. We ha- we have to address this illness that is part of our ourselves, part of this country, and we need to figure out a way to do it. We know it's not going to be pretty. We know it's not going to be easy, but we need to do it. And instead, the conservative politicians of all levels in this country seemingly decided, no, we're just going to deny it. If we put our heads in the sand and we ignore it, it didn't happen. And we can continue with the the way things are always are. And that was, it was one of the things I just, I just couldn't slide. It's not a difference of opinion. It's a matter of, you know what? You're a leader. This is your opportunity to stand up and lead, to really take charge of the conversation and say, yeah, this is, this is, we need to address this. We don't know, I don't think it makes you any less of a person to say, this is a harsh thing. We don't know what's going to happen next, but we acknowledge that it happened. We acknowledge that the Canadian government did this. Are we, are we, I'm not asking any current leader to take blame. I'm not asking him to fall on the sword and, and plead. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm responsible. No, but you have to accept that it happened. And you have to accept that we need to figure out a way to go forward together. First nations and settlers together moving forward. What that path will take, I have no idea. I don't think it's going to be an easy one. I don't think it's going to be a a, a case of throwing money at this issue. This is going to be, to fix this problem and to address it and to find real reconciliation and forgiveness, it's going to take a structural change and real leadership. And this Canada Day, conservatives show that they'd rather stick their head in the sand than face up to the challenges of the day. It comes
0: back to that phrase that... the. the um Carl Dogstad uh, used the um, first time and the second time they, they were on the podcast of nation-to-nation conversation. Yeah, it's not about uh, the traditional Canadian way of dealing with problems is to write a check um, and then to mm-hmm. sometimes try and not let them cash the right. check, you know, right. so yeah, we'll give you pipelines of water, but, you know, you may have to wait 20 years. Um, or with the, you know, the current debate that's happening literally as, as, as the bodies have been dug up, of the federal government trying to avoid paying um, court ordered fines, basically, mm-hmm. for for trying to get out of paying uh, for the health care of First Nations children uh, for decades. Uh, you know, this is our today's liberal government that is saying all these wonderful things about reconciliation, still fighting in court to not pay for people. I, I, think, who we are, should, I think we should emphasize this isn't just for cons-
1: bashing conservatives. Um, no 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 like you know justin trudeau came out and was all about oh we knew you know we we need to find reconciliation and path forward and that's those that's the right thing to say his actions to date though have been woefully inadequate and every liberal uh whether you're a backbencher or in cabinet needs to accept that your actions to date on this file have been woefully inadequate and woefully lacking and quite frankly it's it's disgraceful to be toting the 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 path forward of reconciliation. Yet we still have uh, indigenous communities without drinking uh, under boil water advisories. Um, yet we're you know we're desperate to try and push pipelines through their lands, but we can't give them drinking water in their own homes. That's disgraceful, and it's something that Justin Trudeau and the current Liberal government, regardless, there's no excuse. But at this point, you're what? We're year nine. Yeah, yeah there's, no, no. There's, Just, there was no excuse after you. There's no excuse. To, you should be ashamed of
0: yourselves, each and every I one mean, of them. It, it, it is. This is one of the few things that the federal government has that is solely its responsibility. Um, well, not entirely solely, but largely solely its re- responsibility. This is a this is a federal thing. If, if people are still not getting drinking water, if if children are still committing suicide at horrific rates, uh. uh this is down to them um, and yeah I mean it, it's that there needs to be a complete fundamental change in the way that Canada relates to the indigenous people who were here first and it needs to be on that basis that these are still people who are uh, whether they call themselves also Canadian or, or whatever are, are had a country imposed on them from the mm-hmm, top mm-hmm. Uh, and did not ask for it to come here and who have. Established treaty rights that we recognise in our laws that set them apart, um, and we have to treat them that way. Um, you know, it, it's the, the, you know the whole problem with the with the Indian Act was that it took these people who have the separate status and then said we're going to treat them like sort of problem children and surround them with conditions that means ultimately it's impossible for them to exist. Um, and we're still doing that. The Indian Act is still on the statute books. I mean, sure, it's been revised and changed and whatever. Well, what, um, we need, what we need to do is just, we
1: need to start honoring the treaties, finally. You know, mm-hmm. three 300 years after they were written in some cases, 400 perhaps in some cases. But we need to start honoring the treaties properly in the spirit of the treaties of sharing the land. How that works, I don't know, but tough. Like, that's that's... I'm I'm not I'm not dealing with the I'm not dealing with the old conservatives and I'm saying conservative is a small C here conservative excuse of oh well it's going to cost us money everything's going to cost us money um it's time it's time we start investing in in people in this country as opposed to worrying about how much it's going to cost to uh, make a buck on that note what else do we got
0: to uh, to talk about today Roland well. Um the world's also catching on fire uh environmentally <laughs> oh or, boy. Or bc is well bc is definitely not in the 905 uh but uh the shidoki creek uh definitely is in the 905 and um uh well you you, you picked up on a story on that so why don't you kick yeah. off on, the, well, on that one as well Ma-
1: matthew vendongan of the hamilton spectator uh posted a, a or wrote a story uh this weekend basically um as listeners of the podcast remember, and I'm sure if you lived in the area of the 905, you're aware of. For years, the city of Hamilton covered up the news that raw sewage was pumping into uh, the Shadow Creek, and uh, and now it entered into Coote's Paradise. Um, they finally found they finally discovered. Oh, hey, we left the switch on and then turned off the switch, not before billions of liters of raw sewage dumped into um, this wetland. So. The city asked, well, how much is it going to cost to clean up? And it's estimating $150 million uh, to clean up the area. Uh, and I, that's not including uh, other issues of the environment, That, including uh, to upgrade the the pipes and the infrastructure leading into the area so that we don't have this leak again. There's other um uh, runoff of just urban uh, development that can spill the like chemicals and, and whatnot that can spill into the water uh, the watershed uh, the, basically got so the city of Hamilton try, shied away from doing the necessary infrastructure maintenance the the unsexy part of municipal uh, governance which is just making sure the pipes don't rust through and that the the water flows easily. the the city didn't do this and now the bill has come due. So either we we ignore it and we risk having more raw sewage pumped, you know, at some point down the road, spew into this uh, into this wetland, or we spend 150 million dollars now, possibly uh, possibly more, uh, to actually do this properly. Uh, and th- th- I, yeah, I mean, this is just a case of this is the the, the plight of. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to just focus on Hamilton in this one. This is the kind of the plight of all municipalities in the 21st century. Is that all this paperwork that we laid down a 100 years ago or 50 years ago or or 78 however
0: long it's the maintenance bill has come due yeah i mean it, it it's well the time for change was probably 20 years ago but given that we didn't do anything 20 years ago the time for change is now um you know if you look around the 905 what what we have done to it since we came here um too, far too often it's not something we can feel very proud of you know the types of urban development the sprawl the uh the domination of car culture the 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 and then industrialization you know the the, the kind of the history of hamilton is of huge environmental uh calamities brought about by industry um and cleaning i mean the, the federal government has been uh paying to clean up the um Oh, Randall Reef. Um, uh, in recent years, which is great, cleaning it up at last. But boy, was it a mess, you know. Um, and again, it almost ties back to the to the First Nations thing and the the kind of concepts of environmental stewardship that that the First Nations had as kind of pre-industrial societies. Uh, that we that we kind of need to get back to. I mean, I and mean, we're not talking about going back to horses and buggies or anything here. We're, we're Talking about doing things which are sustainable and efficient and clean because it's actually going to be a hell of a lot better for us in the long run. Uh, not well, we because to, it's nice. We're seeing you know. this isn't like a this isn't
1: a, a pipe dream. This isn't uh, you know, no pun intended. This is this isn't a <laughs> um, you know, oh you know, hippy dippy tree yeah. hunting stuff. This is we've seen what happens out west like th- this the news this week was a town liter- literally erupted into flames just because it was so hot in british columbia and we act like oh that's you know that's just a freak action like that's not going to be a freak accident that's going to happen more and more as temperatures begin to rise due to climate change that's that's not a, this isn't a a one-off story people that will happen a time and time again across this country because this are. Cl- we didn't build our cities or the places we live to live in a, cli- in a hot climate uh, environment. We are, we're this is supposed to be a cold, moderately warm climate, and our actions have been heating this planet up to the point where we now have towns in BC erupting into flames from the heat. This is like th- this is shocking to me, and I know people say, "Well, we're, we live in the 905. Let's let you know why? Why? Why should we care?" Um, because the 905 didn't exist until recently. Like the, this, the 905 is an arbitrary border that we we put upon ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we need to protect our wetlands. That's what that, that's what they do is they help moderate our temp, our temperature. And something that we've talked we've talked about numerous times on this podcast. We had uh, uh, conservation halton on to talk about the need to preserve wetlands and waterways in Ontario in the 905. This stuff's all connected, people. It's it's not a, a, a we can't just say oh well you know we, we got to build a highway, we got to build a uh, you know we got to build this new subdivision because you know somebody's got to make a profit. No, we don't anymore. We need to come up with better ways to live and better ways to use the land that we're on. Otherwise, we're gonna start seeing that you know th- that heat dome that was in BC. It's gonna just move west. It's we're gonna have heat domes pop up in various parts around the around the uh, country. We're having a heat wave come our way, uh, actually today and tomorrow, and hopefully the rain comes and breaks it. But that might not happen.
0: Well, and I think the, the, the pro- likely the bigger problem in our region is going to be flooding. Um, yep. uh, that the that we've we've paved so much of the land that. Um, is meant to sort of absorb the water, um, and the, the, the you know the, the you know remember Burlington had one major rainfall event, um, and that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars to clean up. People are still recovering from that. That was just one two-hour storm. Uh, you know, imagine a world where we have one of those every year. Or you know, I mean, basically, at that point, if you have one every year, you have homes that are no longer insurable you become half parts of your town that can no longer be kind of lived in because they're going to be consistently flooded. And, the, yeah. and if
1: you want to bring a home personally is that if you happen to live in one of those neighborhoods, you won't be able to sell. Nobody's going to want to buy your home. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't just say, okay, well, I'll just sell my home for maybe a break even and take off. Nobody's going to buy your home. If it's an uninsurable uh, or it's going to cost more to insure it than the cost to buy it, you it's a, like the, the, the problems down the road are just so intertwined and so complex. And, just, and and you know, it, it's just it's such a mess that we can avoid it now if we take action. Well, we should have taken action 10 years ago, but we are yeah. too busy with wanting, well, wanting and progress. It's, and it's,
0: it's persuading people that this is in their own interest. And this is the problem that, that when people people it's human nature not to look beyond the end of our own noses so you go to the gas station and it's like hey gas is 10 cents more than it used to be ouch that hurts um and it's like yeah you know wherever we would prefer things are cheap uh but but to be honest gas is pretty darn cheap here compared with the rest of the world well many parts of the world so a think yourself lucky uh b um you know better to pay that than, than the alternative, you know, which is going to be a hell of a, a much higher price uh, that we're, you know, dealing, that we're what, going to be dealing with. What strikes, what, what bothers me
1: about all this is that we, we talk like, oh, what can you do? What, what can we do? And it's, no, the technology is here. We can do this. We can build better homes, more ecologically sustainable homes. We can drive better cars without having to pump out Gallant, barrels upon barrels of oil under the ground for a profit margin that I don't care about anymore. Um, you know, we, we can. the technology is here. Uh, the problem that I see blocking the transition to these technologies is twofold. One is lack of government will to actually enforce the, this change. And I'm talking like changing building codes to make it mandatory that, you know, all roofs must have solar panels on them. Just make it happen. You don't, you don't have to worry about people like too bad. If you want to build a house or, or a condo building or, or whatever on the roof must have solar or in some cases, wind, wind power, but that's just, that's just it. Um, you know, it, to it, more, more and using less, we can talk about recycling uh, material. We can build buildings out of recycled materials. Now a lot easier. It's a matter of changing the building codes to say, Okay. These are safe. And I know in Texas, they're doing it. They, they have where you can take concrete and recycled materials, repurpose it into basically a sludge, any 3D print a house. We don't do that because, oh my gosh, what about the carpenters union and, you know, all the people who cut down trees to make what we have, we have to have wood for houses. And the thing is, I don't think we do anymore. The technology is developing that we don't necessarily need as much wood or the old, old forms of manufacturing to make our homes and our buildings anymore, we can, we can do this. So like it's that political second It's the ec- economic incentives of too many people just, build. it's that that's how they make their money and they, it's not in there there's no incentive for them to actually change their business model. No, we, we, yeah. we give, we'll give them tax subsidies to keep making ecologically harmful or inefficient products. Because we just, you know, we can't be bothered to buy new equipment. We can't be bothered to automate. We can't be bothered to find new materials, cheaper materials, more, more environmentally friendly materials. We can't be bothered with that. Just give us a tax office because, oh, we need to preserve Canadian jobs. And the government says, okay. And they hand off a check to these out of date companies. And instead what we should be doing is saying, no, we're changing the rules. So these new companies that have a new, better idea, you know, what we call capitalism they have a better idea and more a
0: a, a cheaper way of doing it they get a shot now it's actually a challenge for the ndp you know it it, it's always interesting that when someone jumps from the green party to another party they they tend to jump to the liberals because they perceive the liberals as being greener than the than the ndp Uh, and that's i guess because of those uh uh, not that the liberals don't have all kinds of associations with, with unions, but the NDP have more, and and the unions tend to be a act as a break against change um, because it threatens jobs, and it's something that the unions really need to address. That it's not in their members' best interest to be uh, well continuing in, in, that, in modes of work that 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 are environmentally well, on that, on that indefensible. Note, on that
1: note, Roland, it should be noted that ro- unions hated the onset of the automobile when companies realize, hey, I can put my stuff on a truck and it can go a lot farther on a truck than I can with a horse-drawn buggy and carriage. You need to oppose that. You need to say, oh, no, that's going to take away jobs. We can't, we're going to stop the encroachment of the auto, the, the truck, the, the internal combustion engine onto our, our workforce. And you know what? How many, how many goods are brought to a store by a horse-drawn buggy and, and cart nowadays none because you can't stop progress so get stop trying to delay the what is needed with new technologies more efficient materials better automation get out of the way so we can get on with saving the planet
0: yeah yeah i mean it's uh, unions also opposed uh, women in the workplace for the same reasons they didn't want them taking jobs from men right um and i'm not saying all unions many unions it's an established oh. fact that that happened um, I'm not being anti-union here but they they have to change just like all of us have to change and yes. the NDP needs to be putting pressure on that so that they can become a green party Do you need to I'm a pick- fairly left-wing guy I mean people have probably noticed by now but I was never a. I didn't join the NDP kind of for that reason because I joined I initially got involved in politics when I started volunteering um, it was after the, the green shift and uh, Stefan Dion's green shift that's what brought me into politics was like wow here's a leader and i didn't join until he'd actually lost but anyway here's a leader who's putting the whole green issue front and center on his platform uh, And when he lost it's like oh bugger this i'm gonna get involved and see what i'm gonna change the world um now yeah that was 10 years ago at least wasn't it uh more yeah. um and how much further have we come but yeah i mean the, the, the is past due and and every party needs to we need a consensus on this which is what places like new zealand have if they have a cross-party consensus and we don't have a consensus on anything what, right now what has um, been
1: said is that i will th- give erno to a lot of credit on this i think if you managed to get that policy passed at his party's convention can you imagine if all the major parties agreed that climate change was a national issue you know we may you know maybe the conservatives come in with okay we're going to have less tax on this, more funding for that. You know, we could have had a my, what I would have liked to have seen is a myriad of options and maybe work towards a a common plan that the government could put forward. Instead, you know, there's a, it's clear there's a big chunk of that party supporters that they view climate change as it's a hoax. They, you know, you and I are just hippy-dippy, you know, snowflake liberal uh, uh, tree huggers We don't, we have our heads in the sand. We don't realize the reality. And here's the reality nobody wants oil anymore. The oil, like oil prices are crashing, uh, hard across the country. Nobody wants the to pump anymore. We're not going to build any pipelines. That's just a given. There's no, this country will never build pipelines. Not going to happen, no matter who's in power. But that's not the catastrophe that the conservatives want us to believe. It, It, we have an opportunity. The technology is there to revamp our economy, revamp our lifestyles into a more progressive and a sustainable model. Just get out of the way. It'll, it'll be okay.
0: Um, well, and the countries are at the forefront of this. And ironically, China is, is coming from a very kind of dirty starting point. Uh, one of the countries that's most open to, to the radical changes that, that are needed, they're not going to be the countries that, that, that succeed over the next century. Um. Because, you know, defending stuff that is inefficient, you know, and this is, I, I wish the parties would get this, that it's not about hugging trees. No. It's not about being nice for the sake of being nice. It's about be, doing the right thing because it's in our, it's the selfish thing to do. You know, conservatives are about efficiency. Well, that's what they used to say they were yeah. about. If you're about efficiency, you should be in favor of every damn green thing that comes along Ge- because they're more efficient.
1: Generating electricity is relatively cheap. It's like the wind blows, the sun shines, that's it. It doesn't cost anything to, to do that. You build a windmill or you, and windmills are getting like the technology is getting more efficient. It's, it's not, you know, we gotta, we gotta get over this stuck with fields of windmills. Like we're, we'll get better technology. That's, that's what capitalism does is it generates better technology. And we just got, we got it. We have to, we have to, we have to protect our waterways better. We have to, all of it. And it has to be done. It had to be done yesterday. Not, not, we shouldn't be t- debating this. We need to start electing politicians, whether they're conservative or progressive or, or whomever. They need to be, we need to elect people who say, I've got a plan for this. I got, to, I have an idea. I think this will work and base it in the science and in the reality and say, yeah, maybe this will work.
0: Well, that's one more story in the 95 that I think we should mention. And we, we've already talked about um, First Nations and Canada Day, but um, coincidentally, um, I don't know if it was on Canada Day or the day after, the developer of the contested lands at um, uh, the Six Nations uh, Reserve outside Caledonia uh, announced that they were completely withdrawing um, from the lands. Well, they still own the lands, but they were withdrawing any plans to develop it. So in effect, um, for the foreseeable future, um, the uh, first nations uh protesters have have mm-hmm. won um and uh, they were celebrating that yesterday with 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 uh, events at that field um and i think this is a good thing i think the developer was was crazy to to see the history of, of that well, neighborhood and think they could do that anyway but well, it's um, one of those things like when we had we had
1: uh, uh carl and sean from one dish one make on to talk about this a, a little well a while back. I remember when the first questions I asked them was uh, the, the, the site across the literally on the other side of the road from this, from 1492 land back lane on the other side of the road was contested uh, a little while back, uh, back when Dalton McGinty was premier. That's how long ago we were, but it was contested then. And I said, you no, know, I was, my thought was always, okay, if that plot of land is contested, okay, I want to develop a new, uh, a, a, development or whatever i'm just going to go across the street like why wouldn't your first reaction have been i'm just going to go to the six nations and say can i can we can we is this contested like can and it, and the thing is what got me about this was the it goes it, like the story just goes so much to the, to the the colonial mindset of how we view the first nations people cuz they you know they went to the elected band council and clearly From what we've learned, there's the discrepancy between the elected band council and the hereditary band council, and that's a point that I'm not clear on, but it's clearly a point of contention for the for the Mohawk uh, and the First Nation Haudenosaunee people of the land. As the developer, like it's one of those things like you you can either try and cheat your way out. Say, well, I talked to these people and they said it was okay, but you know, the lesson I think going forward should be. Real and meaningful consultation with First Nations people. Don't don't try and cheat your way out of it. Don't try and find. I just need somebody to sign off over the land, but to actually go go to the whole band council and go to the whole band and say we need to part. We want to partner with you. We want to do this.
0: Well, and the developer would say that they did that. You see, because they went to the elected band council. And, but did they? Because yeah.
1: here's the thing: they only sold mm-hmm. they sold the entire plot of land that they're really... However many I, I forget how many units they were developing on it but they sold it basically for the price of one what like five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars which i i know i do the math like clearly yeah. that entire plot land is worth five hundred thousand dollars yet you're selling however many hundreds of of units for the same price it's clearly worth more than that to you which is yeah,
0: why well i think if, you, if you're talking about, about about what i think you're talking about i mean it, was, it wasn't so much they we were buying it, it as they we were paying for a promise that the uh, that the people of the reserve would would not contest it uh, which was a promise they couldn't actually make um uh clearly couldn't make given subsequent events right. um and, and for anybody listening who's like well elected council they're elected right that's democracy you should realize that those councils were imposed on mm-hmm. the um first nations reserves by the canadian government this was so it's a uh, The whole problem here, ultimately, is that we always come back to, but this is the law, and what you don't understand is, it's like, well, it's not our law. Um, This is, we never said we wanted these laws. Um, So, you know, and and even when 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 things are done by our laws, such as granting ten miles either side of the Grand River to the to Joseph Brandt and the uh, 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 the Hodenosaunee people we don't then abide by our own laws. Um, so, you know, there's a fairly low level of respect for, for how our own justice system is used when the First Nations are involved. Well, that, that, yeah. but that's the thing is, I, I have
1: a feeling that this whole situation could have been avoided if the developer honestly went with open intentions and good faith to the Six Nations people and said to the whole, we want, like, we would like to develop. How do we do that? And I, you know, I I, I don't know if the I, I I don't know what would happen. I'm not I'm not a predictor of the future, but there is something to say like, you go there with the opener and said, you know, here's a contract. Either we lease or we buy the land from you for a fair market price. And the the First Nations might have said, okay, that's fair. Like we're not we're not using it. It's the fact that they just the developers kind of came in and snuck in and around and grabbed the land. And what I also I honestly get the anger that I was involved here because when the first nations when the the six nations went to the courts to say like can we just put a pause on this development like time out freeze it like we we need to sort if we're going to sort out who owns this land let's freeze it instead the judge said no we're we're, you you have to get off until we sort it out you have to get it off also we're going to just allow the developer to continue building their project and it's like that's not right that's that's just not right You, you you can tell the developer no sit tight for for a while, until we sort this out. Now, Yag, yeah, that might take fifty years. I don't know how long it'll take. Land land claims are backlogged up the wazoo in the court system, mostly because the court system isn't designed to handle this stuff. Like it, it's not. You need the federal government needs to step in and say, "No, this is this is First Nations land. This is well, not." We
0: de- we're dealing with contract systems that are trying to interpret the implications of of. Uh, Of belts, wampum belts, and I think that's the right term, and apologies if it isn't. Uh, You know, of of conflicting legal systems, conflicting ways of viewing the world that are just so completely alien to each other. Uh, And for the last many hundred years we've worked on the basis that the first system wasn't actually relevant to anything. And that the system that was placed on top of that is the only one that matters. Uh, But we're going to accept these things from from a previous uh, way of viewing the world mm-hmm. as contracts yeah i mean it, it, as much as anything the entire situation with the first nations is again it's, it's about legal systems and it's about recognition of people as a separate people that we have acknowledged again and again and again but you then will refuse to kind of honor in any significant way um but it goes to I'm wondering you know
1: Part of it is re- restarting. I think a process that we let let atrophy, a process of communications between two nations that we let atrophy for centuries and for generations, and that resulted in things like the residential school system, where you know we were like, well, we don't have to to treat them as equal partners in the land or or, or what have you, and that's where that's where we are now. This you know we can either keep fighting this. The system that clearly doesn't work, or we can try and rebuild a relationship. And is that possible? I I don't I don't know. I'm not saying yeah, it's 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 going to be easy. We just need to do it. It's going to be hard work. It's going to mean giving up a lot of preconceived notions, a lot of racist notions that we might have, um, and putting our trust in each other again. That's going to take a huge amount of work. It's not. And I'm not I'm not sugarcoating it. I'm not saying that that's that's going to be easy. And that's going to mean a lot of trust to be earned. And it might mean that, yeah, you go to, you go hat in hand to the First Nations people and say, hey, can we build something on this land? My suspicion is a lot of them, the first time I'm just saying, no, we've been burned by you so many times mm. in the past. If we have a chance to say no, we're going to say no. I don't care how, how great it'll be for us. And we have to accept that. We have to say, yeah, we, we, we've burned a lot of bridges here. We've done a lot of wrong and we have to earn back that trust. And that takes time. That, that's just that's that's the only solution is that it'll just take time to do it but it has to be done
0: and, and the and we should draw it to a close here but I mean the irony is that the, the Canada the monstate Canada does not claim its existence by right of conquest of North America it claims its existence as the result of uh, a collection of extremely shady deals with the people who lived here by which you know a bag of beans or whatever you I know mean, I'm Using a kind of flippant term there, uh, was offered in return for territory. Um, so we bought the land, is our claim from the First Nations, even though the First Nations had no concept of what they were selling, <laughs> had no concept indeed of the concept of land ownership or sale. So this is how here we are. This is how we are where we are. Um, ironically, if it was conquest, it's a lot simpler. You ask someone who lives in Wales. Um, You know what their land rights are and it's like well no you got beat um sorry um but we didn't we bought the lands according to our own arguments um uh but we didn't buy all of them there's huge areas that are unceded that were never uh given over to us and we have to recognize all of that you know if we're going to claim that we have a legal right to be here based on those things then we have to play by the damn rules that we put it we we said were the were the rules um yeah i mean so it's going back to first principles and um and starting over uh, really anyway that um is more than long enough conversation for today i suspect yes. um <laughs> thanks to, to to anybody who made it to the end um uh, and uh we'll be back um Again, the usual Thursday episode, uh, um, and uh, we'll look forward to uh, speaking again then. Bye for now.
1: That's it for this episode of the 905-er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email,